Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Glad to see that we're all here today. Glad to have you here. Man goes to the doctor and says to the doctor, Doctor, whatever I touch, it hurts. Doctor looks at the guy and goes, hey, What do you mean? He says, I, I, I touch my shoulder and it really hurts. And I, I, I touch my knee and it really hurts. When I touch my head, it really hurts. And the doctor looks at him and says, I know what's wrong with you. The guy looks at the doctor and says, doctor, please help. What is it? He goes, you have a broken finger. That's a dad joke. I just wanted to share that with you today. That was painful, wasn't it? All right. Pain is something we don't talk about very often and something that most of us don't want to talk about at all. Uh, how did your Matthew 25 challenge go? Yeah? For some, some people got creative in the whole process. Some, it was an interesting experience. For me, to be totally honest, the hardest part uh, for me was actually sleeping on the floor. And I forgot to bring it this morning, but I had a mat that I slept on. And I'll tell you, about every 15 minutes, I was waking up and turning over because I'm used to the comforts of a memory foam bed that forms to your body. Well, the floor doesn't form to your body. And uh, I have to admit, that was probably the toughest time for me was that uh, sleeping on the floor. Why? Because it caused me pain. I had a meeting the next morning <laughs> and I told the person I was meeting with, I need you to come to my house because I just couldn't operate. I couldn't work. And it was just what it is. But today I want to actually speak to you on hearing God's voice through pain. Now, I was going to focus on James chapter 1 verse 2 where it says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. That was the plan. I was going to share with you, I had these wonderful points all laid out that, you know, God, uh, uh, through pain, God speaks uh, to our so source of joy. Through pain, God speaks to us in our need for one another, right? We come alongside each other. Through pain, God speaks to our hearts uh, for what we know in our heads. And through pain, God speaks to the need of our faith to grow. And finally, through pain, God speaks about his faithfulness. And uh, I thought it was a great sermon. And then I thought, no, not, not for today. Instead, I want to talk to you about pain and choice. Now, pain is not a fun subject to talk about at all. But it's something that we all walk through. Most of us in this room have all walked through pain. All of us have touched some sort of pain in one way or another. Because it's just simply inevitable in our life. And there are a number of questions that we ask when it comes to the topic of pain, especially if you're feeling it personally. The number one question we ask is why? Why me? You know, or we look around and why other people? And there's the response then that we have to pain as well. You know, how do we choose to respond to the pain that we face in our lives? How do we respond to the pain that we see in other people? Do you realize that how we respond is the single most important task in front of us, especially if we want to follow Jesus? How we respond is the single most important task. Now, when you think about it, you and I were hardwired to avoid pain at all costs. We try to avoid pain, and we try to avoid being near the pain of other people, don't we? We actually have the ability to see pain headed our way most of the time. And it's actually a safeguard for us as human beings. Now, for me, I grew up pretty much pain-free. Yeah, that's me. Go figure that. I, I grew up here in Winnipeg, south end of town. We lived in Fort Richmond. I went to St. Avila Elementary School. I went to Acadia Junior High. I went to FRC. And I grew up in a bubble. And it was interesting that uh, I had a very strong church family. Our life was the church. Um, life as a kid for me was actually quite easy. I had no cares. I had no issues. My first experience of pain took place on the school ground. Believe it or not, I still remember it. Maybe you've been there yourself. There's two captains. You see where I'm going? There's about 10 other kids, right? And you're wanting to be picked. Why? To play soccer, whatever sport it was popular at the time. And there I was, and I remember, you know, I can't remember if I was audibly screaming, but inside screaming, pick me, pick me, pick me. That's what I was screaming. And I was always the last kid chosen. Now, I don't know if any of you ever had that experience, but in my mind, I may have not have been the best player, 
But I was better than others. I, I know I was better than others. But no, for some reason, I was always chosen last. And even with my brothers and my cousins, when we played football or ball hockey around, uh, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, as we gathered together as a family, I was the youngest. I was the skinniest. Uh, I was the most physically uncoordinated, proudly so. But I still thought I, I was within the top three of the pick because I had the biggest heart. But I guess not. I always got relegated, always got relegated to the last choice. Maybe I need therapy, I'm not quite sure. But I was always relegated to the last choice. And usually if it was hockey, I was always the goalie, right? right? So, so the big kids could take slap shots, right, at the goalie. More pain. That's basically how I grew up. Now, my dad was the pastor of a North End church that was called Living Word Temple at the time. Sound familiar? And uh, this was a little Ukrainian church in the heart of the inner city. And over the years, that neighborhood in which Living Word Temple was located, it started to transition and it became much more poor. That was my first experience growing up as to what poverty was. I was, like I said, I was very sheltered. I remember going door to door. And we used to invite people to church or we'd go door to door and we'd drop off hampers at Christmas time or at Thanksgiving. And it was during those times of going door to door, going into people's houses that I was actually exposed to poverty. And yeah, I was exposed to poverty and the effects of it as the results of addiction that I've never seen before in my life. But I always remembered how my parents reinforced to me how we needed to be thankful for where we lived and that we always needed to share what we had with those in need. And actually, my dad modeled that in an amazing way. As I grew older, obviously, I became more ex you know, exposed to the pain of others, but it was primarily through the church. And I have to be really honest, things didn't really register. You know, I lived in this bubble, as I, I said to you, and I saw what happened to families that were going through divorce or that experienced sudden death. I'll, I'll never forget my first encounter with suicide that I was connected to and how I felt and when I was asked as a young teen to be a pallbearer to this young man that used to attend our church. And then there was sickness and suffering of others but I have to be honest, it was actually something that I actually chose not let, to let affect me. And as a kid, I used to say things like, you know, when I didn't get my way to mom and dad, that's not fair, right? right? And then I would throw a hissy fit. because I was a spoiled little brat. I was the youngest of three boys. I was spoiled. I know that. I think my mom was just tired. Uh, you know, my older brother's 13 years older. My mom was very much tired. But somehow... My four boys picked up on that saying, not sure where they got it from, because numerous times in my house when Josh, Jordan, James, and Jesse were growing up, I would hear, that's not fair. And of course, my response to them as a warm, loving, caring father was, life's not fair, right? And, and, and there's actually so much truth in that statement that life is not fair. The crazy thing is we want it to be, right? As a matter of fact, we're conditioned by society to think that everything needs to be fair. We want it to be, but it's not. And so we compare ourselves, though, and this is a crazy thing. We compare ourselves to other people. You know, look at them. They have it so easy. They could do that. They have it. I have it so hard. And we live in this misery, right? But life isn't fair. And so life goes on for me. And as, as Christians, when life goes smoothly for us, God's blessings are evident. We, we really do that. And we're tempted then to believe when we live in blessing that we've got it all in control. And maybe we even go so far as to think that we don't even need God because look at the blessings are happening around us. But when the bottom falls out and when there are trials and pain of life begins to swallow us up, we seem to lose control. And then things happen, and especially if we're people of faith, our faith starts getting rocked. You know, maybe we still believe that God is in the cockpit. That's possible. But, you know, maybe we begin to question whether God is really in control. Maybe we are tempted to think that God's control over creation is actually limited. Or maybe, maybe we're influenced by people like Mr. Dawkins, author of The God Delusion, who says this, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent comp 
contemplation. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. What a hopeful outlook on life. And then we have Pastor Timothy Keller. He, uh, Keller, he writes this. He says, the problem is that contemporary people think life is all about finding happiness. We decide what conditions will make us happy, and then we work to bring those conditions about. To live for happiness means that you're trying to get something out of life. But when suffering comes along, it takes the conditions for happiness away. And so suffering destroys all your reason to keep living. But to live for meaning means not that you try to get something out of life, but rather that life expects something from us. In other words, you have meaning only when there is something in life more important than your own personal freedom and happiness. Something which you are glad to sacrifice your happiness. There is something in life more important than your own personal freedom and happiness. Now, I've realized over time that life is not easy when we've suffered a serious blow. As a matter of fact, you really don't know who's carrying pain around you unless you are personally connected to that individual in one way or another. For example, some of you, you're going to go out today. Maybe you're going to be like me, you're going to go to Costco favorite Sunday morning place to go uh, all the time. It's better than the vortex of hell, otherwise known as Ikea. But Costco itself is, uh, it, people lose their mind as soon as they get into the parking lots, right? And then from there, it's just, it's good luck from there. But you never know who's carrying pain unless you're actually connected to somebody. And, you know, you could be going through the aisles of any grocery store and have no idea the person next to you in the same aisle and what they're going through. You have no clue. There are no easy answers out there to the questions that we find ourselves asking when, we, when you and I go through serious crisis, especially when it comes to us of being people of faith. In my own walk, I was at my father's bedside when he passed away in October. Then it was just seven months later, we buried our fifth son, Josiah. It was a whirlwind. See, it still brings up emotion. And I think just like anybody else, we all wrestle with the questions of why me? Why now? What in the world is God doing? And then I was reminded of a little verse, Psalm 34, 18. It says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Think about that for a moment. When I'm brokenhearted, God is close to me. And even though I may not feel like it, or when it feels like he's a million miles away, he's actually still there with me. When my spirit's been crushed, do you see what the psalm says? It says, he will rescue me. Now the word broken throughout the psalms can mean shattered, it can mean crushed, it can be maimed. The void of arrogance, wounded, contrite, injured, smashed, grieved, distressed, crippled, wrecked. Demolished, fractured, handicapped, disabled. And maybe in any one of those words, it probably could describe the situation in which you find yourself this morning. See, brokenness based on those scriptures is a spiritual state where one is disarmed of their self-dependence and pride. Therefore, it leaves us disabled and in desperate need of help. Thereby, it's making one open to what God wants to do in our lives. Isn't that an interesting picture? And God wants people that have been totally smashed of their own personal pursuits to pursue him. Sometimes we don't understand why we're being led through the pains of life, do we? You know, maybe when, when it may be that God is simply testing our hearts to see whether we're willing to fully trust him and to follow his ways despite our circumstances. You know, there's more pain and heartache in this world than I can ever imagine possible. You know, as a pastor, 
I struggle with things like injustice. I struggle with things like war. I struggle when natural disasters move in and kill people, whether it's a hurricane, a tsunami, earthquakes. I struggle when somebody takes their life. I struggle when I hear about drunk drivers getting into accidents that kill people and they walk away unscathed. I struggle when little babies die for no reason. I struggle when godly couples can't have kids. When kids are forced into sex trafficking. I struggle at how random acts of violence kill good people. I struggle when good people die early and evil people live long lives. I struggle when so-called godly people make choices and decisions that actually mess up their lives and not only affects them, but everybody else around them in the community. And so there are times where I question God and I express my doubts. And sometimes I have to be honest, I wonder if God even knows what he's doing. And so here's the deal with pain. Because either you've experienced some sort of pain in your life or you've, and you've been forced to adapt, to make some choices, or maybe you're going through the most painful experience of your life right now. Or, I'll just say this, maybe you're headed into one and you just don't know it yet. I said it earlier, pain is inevitable. And maybe your pain's not the same as mine. Maybe yours isn't the death of a loved one. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's a struggle of infertility or addiction. Maybe it's depression or cancer or some type of other physical issue. Or maybe it's just a shattered dream. And like me, maybe you have been disillusioned in your faith or frustrated or disappointed with God when things just go south in our lives. But the reality is, is that God doesn't promise us a life that's free from pain. In fact, we need to expect it as believers. Jesus said, I've told you that these things come so that you may have peace. And in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, you look at the characters of scriptures. They never lived lives of ease and comfort. Their walk was forged through times of pain and heartache and suffering. And it's easy for us to get caught up in our own path and simply turn everything inwards and focus on myself. And I can actually get to the point then, I can forget that there are other hurting people in this world. After losing Josiah, I remember going out to a farmer's field in the south of town and I I remember yelling at God. I remember I said those words. You know those words? You're not fair. That's exactly what I said. And I yelled it at God. And of course, you know, in the silence of the field, And I I think that's the thing that we all hate. We hate silence, right? Because we always have this need to talk. But it was in the silence of a field. I was reminded by a still, small voice that in the back of my head, it was almost like God is speaking. I was reminded of those, those others in the world who have truly experienced the unfairness of life. Amongst other things, there are kids today who are gonna die tonight because they don't have enough food to eat. Or kids who will die because of some illness that is actually curable with common medication that we have easy access to. But they don't. And they don't have access to medication. And they don't have access to clean water. There are refugees fleeing their homes because of war. We see this on TV, but we're so hard that we change the channel. And they have a search that seems hopeless. There are more people trapped in slavery today than any other point in human history. I didn't know that. Young girls forced to marry old men. Young boys being forced to fight as soldiers in wars they have no idea about, nothing to do with. And so it's easy to get focused on my own pain. It's easy for me to switch the channel. I can forget that there are other people in this city, in this province, in this nation, around the globe, who are facing unimaginable pain, loss, and suffering. So what choice do I have? I love what Helen Keller wrote. She said, At the, all the world is full of suffering. It's also full of overcoming. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, people, is optional. Pain is what the world inflicts upon us. 
Suffering is our emotional reaction when we fail to make the difficult conscious choice to choose joy. Somebody else put it this way, God gave us pain to remind us we are alive so we will learn to value the joys and the beauty of the world. Whenever we find ourselves with the pain and suffering in our lives, we are always at a crossroads of choice. What am I going to choose to do with it? How do I respond to my pain? How do I respond to the pain of other people around us? Timothy Keller said this, Suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It's not, it's not only the way Christ became and redeemed us, but it is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. So one of the things that's been running through my mind, and again, I shared this last week, is I, I really wonder, and I think maybe this is actually my midlife crisis, because Sharon and I were talking about it yesterday as we were going for our walk. It's my midlife crisis. What is my legacy? What, what is the legacy that I am going to leave? When I'm dead and gone, have I really made a difference? Seriously. Let me ask you this question, because these are the crazy things that I think about. Your great-grandparents, your great-grandparents, you tracking with me on that? Do you know who they are? Do you know them by name? I would venture to say that very few people in this room could actually answer that question. Do you know the legacy that they left you? I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but most of us can't go back that far in our genealogy. Most of us actually have no idea about our great-grandparents and the legacy that they have left on this earth. Think about that. And here's, here's my morbid conclusion. You ready? This is your pastor speaking. I hope you're, yeah, I want to be just like him. Morbid. Here's my morbid conclusion. I've concluded that after I die, my name will be forgotten in about 50 years. But I pray that all that I've done in the spiritual world will live on. I want to make a difference in this life. And for me, it's not about building a building and putting my name on the outside of it. Because in 50 years' time, somebody's going to come by with a big steel ball and knock it over. And what does it matter? Right? But what's my spiritual legacy? What's my spiritual legacy? I've had so many opportunities in this world. I told you I'd be wrecked for three weeks in a row. I've had the privilege and the honor as a pastor to see what's happening in our world. And I've been exposed to what I thought was the poorest of the poor when we went to Indonesia and started helping out there. But no, somebody had to get it in their head and goes, look, you need to go to Ecuador and see what's going on in the city of Quito. And of course, we went there. And then never mind our own inner city and what we're seeing just in our own backyard. And I've always found myself in this situation, and, and usually my wife is always, Sharon's always with me, and the thing that first thing that comes out of her mouth is, we need to do something. And so I sit back at 55 years of age, and I say, what is my spiritual legacy that I want to leave? Is it that we remember the poor and do what we can to relieve their suffering? Because when you think about it, there's often very, very little that we can do about our own pain. Tracking with me? But there's always something that we can do to relieve the pain of others. Mother Teresa said this beautifully. I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. See, I'm not denying the fact that we have our own pain. We all have our own issues. 
And I'm not denying the fact that we need to try to heal and we need to seek help, whether it's counseling or therapy or whatever. And especially we need to ask God to come and to heal our hearts without question. But there's sometimes there's not much we can really do about what it is. It's where we are in life because life is not fair. But there's always something that we can do to relieve the pain of others at the same time. Because that's the choice that we have. We can sit and hurt or we can strive and make a difference. So here's the deal. If you want to be close to God, you need to go where God is. Scriptures tell us that he's close to the brokenhearted, which means then we need to be close to the brokenhearted. What you see is the... picture I took in August this year when we were in Swaziland. And uh, at this little place here, local moms would pull the resources, come together, and they would feed kids one meal a day, every, every day. And that was the kids' one meal. The hill that you see in the background is not a hill, it's actually a dump. It's where people have scourged for food. And to the left of your picture, and you can't really see it, is a shanty town. And in that shanty town, people have a history. Of selling their kids for food. Pain choices gives a whole new expression to the phrase pick me so this year i have a friend who on facebook began to rant against me personally and how i could spend all my time and energy trying to help kids on the other side of the world when our city has its own issues. He ranted at me as to how could I care about kids in Africa that were not my kids or even my family. Basically, they're other people's kids. Now, you know, I use the word my friend who has subsequently apologized. I'll say that too. And I know he has his own issues. I know he has his own pain that he's dealing with. But I have to confess, I was mad. I usually don't write anything negative in social media. I use the word usually because I'm pretty sure if you go back somewhere, I said something negative. And it'll be held against me when I run for political office. I'm positive. <laughs> now, again, I usually don't write anything negative in social media, but I went straight for the jugular on this guy. Because here I am, I'm on the other side of the, the world. I'm literally emotionally raw because I find myself in poverty I have never experienced before. And now I have somebody in Canada who has all their needs met, has full access to clean water, food, a warm place to sleep, has money in the bank, and he's chirping me that I'm forgetting about people in our backyard. Was he right? No. It wasn't right because to God, there's no such thing as other people's kids. Do we have a Kleenex in the house? Uh, thanks for knocking over the coffee, boss. When we read in Matthew 25, it's Jesus who's saying that when we see those in need. Now, I preached on this. Do you remember? Oh, bless you on your head and shoulders and rest of your body. <sighs> you know, again, you go back in the life lessons and you saw me preach this, that when we see those in need, when we see those in need, who does Jesus call them? The least of these, they're his brothers and sisters. Our family. 
And it doesn't matter the color of skin. We're brothers and sisters. And on a side note, this week, because of the connections of somebody in this community, we actually had a meeting. We have a commitment from a large company that's prepared to infuse upwards to $15,000 into Living Word to build a community garden next spring so that the people of the area would access the free vegetables. You know, God is calling us to see that there is no such thing as other people's kids. We're called to love others. We're called to love strangers as if they're our family. We have an obligation to make a difference outside of our comfort zones to impact the needy that God brings to our attention. So have you ever longed to make a difference? And I don't care if you're in junior high, senior high, or if you're in retirement mode. Have you ever longed to make a difference? Are you like me and you're wondering what's your legacy going to be? When you're dead, where are you going to be in 50 years? Or have you done something that's going to live on in the spiritual realm? Sometimes we can't get beyond our own selves. And what's happening in our, world, our own world. And sometimes what actually is we become paralyzed and we're stuck. And so can I propose then to you that pain changes our lives? For better or for worse, whatever pain or area in which we find ourselves, we actually have a choice. And God uses pain in our lives, pain that we would not have chosen to help us learn how to step into the pain of others' lives. And how you respond to pain is always a choice. How you respond to the pain that shows up in your life and how I respond to the pain that shows up in my life is a choice. And listen, the choices you make are what make you. The choices you make in life are what make you. Your choices will tell the story of your life one day. And, and in many ways, your choices are like the hinges of your destiny, the hinges to your future. And I've said this over the last few weeks as the one aspect of our mission that I'm camping on is making a difference. According to the Ephesians 2.10, you and I are created to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. This phrase for me is much more than something personal because it's something that I believe that we as a community need to understand and grab a hold of and live out. Now you wouldn't know that when God is speaking to me about this whole concept of making a difference in the Matthew 25 challenge, my good friend Chris Schrader from World Vision, he says to me, hey, I got something for you. You know, I should have responded to my gut reaction, blocked his phone number, blocked his email, and said, no, get away from me. And so Chris, you know, you know I, I commit to the Matthew 25 challenge. Chris says, hey, Jerry, thanks for doing this Matthew 25 challenge, but I got another challenge for you. It's like crack, Chris. It's like crack. You know, I have enough challenges in my life. But, of course, what do I do? I say, yeah, sure, let's, let's talk. Now, the crazy thing is I look at my life and I know that God, in his infinite wisdom, was inviting me into something. I wasn't sure I was ready for the invitation. Because it was actually an invitation to make a difference. Hey, Chris, that's my line. Now, what I love about our relationship with Chris and the organization that he represents, which is World Vision, which you haven't figured out yet as you walked in, is that through him and World Vision, there are at least 135 children that we have sponsored over the years through our gatherings here at Seoul in a little town called Tumnil, Kenya. That's amazing. And I applaud all of you who have a stake in that. You know, I love the fact that our church cares. I love the fact that our church cares enough to invest in family. And I sense God prompting us as a church to go, to step in a little bit deeper. Deeper in relationship. And so today, after our Matthew 25 challenges, uh, I'm stepping out and challenging this community, Soul Sanctuary, to step into a deeper relationship. And it's more than just a child sponsorship, but this is a relationship like no other with a village in Kenya. And so, I need you to put your thinking caps on 
And I need you to seriously ask yourself, are you willing to consider to expand your definition of family to include someone on the other side of the world? Someone who has their own issues, someone who has their own pain. Because maybe right now they're hungry and they need food. Maybe, maybe they're thirsty and they need something to drink. Maybe they're naked and they need clothes. Maybe they're sick. They need a doctor. So today I have a huge challenge for you, Soul Sanctuary, to step into. And if you're a guest here today, I have a challenge for you as well. As a matter of fact, you don't need to be a part of this church community to participate in this challenge. In fact, something that has, uh, what I'm about to do has never happened in Canada before. Now hear carefully, I want you to prepare your heart, I want you to prepare your spirit, and I honestly, I'm going to be very transparent because I want you to say yes, because I believe that how we respond to the pain in this world and the pain of others is one of the best ways that we can actually show our love for Jesus, and when we do, it begins to change everything. And God uniquely uses everything in our life. Just because we're in a fallen world doesn't mean that God is still not in control of this faulty world system. And so right now in Kenya, there's this town called Taveda. It has approximately 156 kids who are waiting to be sponsored. So I'm wanting to invite every person here, and even those choosing to watch via live stream, to prayerfully consider that you would sponsor a child today. You may already sponsor. Fabulous. Will you add a second? Maybe you've never stepped out and done this before. Maybe today's the day. Maybe for some of you, you want to add more for every kid in your family. Maybe you're sitting there going, well, Jerry, that doesn't sound like anything revolutionary or anything new. Let me say this. The most beautiful relationships are mutual relationships. Something changes when it's somebody you know, right? When somebody you don't know is going through suffering, there's no connection. But when there's somebody that you do know is going through something, there is a connection. And it's true about everything. Things change when, when you know somebody and it's somebody you know. When something becomes personal, we then become passionate. Why? Because it personally touches our heart. And that's when you begin to feel the passion. Now, you know, at Seoul, we like to experiment. We like to do things a little differently. And so instead of you walking out into the atrium today and seeing a little picture with a child on it, and then you're going to choose the child you want to sponsor, I said we're going to do something that's never been done in Canada before. And today you're going to be a part of something new, something that is actually a movement of God. Because <clears throat> we want to acknowledge that every choice that we make can be a celebration that, of the world that we want, want to see. We believe that these kids are powerful and that they have voices as a church. We want to be able to put that power into their hands. We want to be able to put that choice into their hands. So instead of you today walking out and seeing a bunch of kids and you choosing the child, we're actually going to put the choice in the child's hand. And my challenge to you is that you would walk out today, you would go into the atrium, and you'll see where they have all these things, and then you get your picture taken. Then later today, I'm going to get on a plane, I'm going to fly to Taveta, and I'm going to show them your pictures. And those kids will get to choose you. They'll get to choose you. And I think the beauty of this concept is that these kids never get to make a choice in their life. They don't choose what they eat. They don't choose what they wear. They, can't, they don't choose what they drink. They don't choose what school they go to, what doctor they see. They simply have to inherit the everyday environment around them. And you and I, we live in a world where we're overwhelmed by choice. Man, go to any grocery store. And to be able to give some of that away, I think is actually a cool concept to people who have no choice. And so we believe that these children need to be empowered to make a difference and that they have a voice. Instead of wishing and hoping and waiting for a sponsor to pick me, pick me, pick me. 
and to be picked last. We're putting the power back into their hands to empower them to make a choice. And we're looking to help move these children from being in need to experiencing life in all of its fullness. There's a child in Taveda who's looking to choose you. I told you I've been messed up. I don't know what God's doing. And I don't know what he's doing in the heart of this church. But you need to listen to the prompting of what God is inviting you and your family to join into. And can you, can you say yes to this? Or maybe can I say this? We don't need any more stuff in our lives. Because we have plenty. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of something bigger than just me. I want people to understand global need, global reach. And that as a church, we do an amazing job because actually we're reaching all over the world in our missions as a church. However, I wonder if our younger generation, and forgive me those who sit in the front and take up my seat every Sunday, but thank you for doing that. But I wonder are your hearts connected to what's going on globally? And honestly, this is one way and one opportunity to be reminded of the intrinsic value that God gives to every human being that's created in his image. Everyone is created in his image. And what a joy God can use you and me to do to transform his world. Billy Graham said this, out of pain and problems have come the sweetest songs and the most gripping stories. It is the songs and the stories that live on. And so my question is, will you consider to be a part of this this morning? I'm not asking you to be generous. Actually, today, Soul Sanctuary, I'm asking you to be sacrificial. This is about joy. This is not, not guilt involved. This is a privilege that we get to do. And everybody has the cap capacity beyond their giving. In a few moments, or even right now, just begin to pray about it. Think about God's call in our lives regarding Matthew 25. I think it would be really cool to watch God reach this village through our church. It would be really cool to watch and to get to see what God has done. And when we step into the lives uh, of these individuals, then everything begins to change. And this is the call for the church to be the church. So Soul Sanctuary, today we make history together. And while you don't do something for everyone in extreme poverty, you can do something for someone. One. And so I ask, is your heart stirred into a relationship with the child? Because this is a whole different twist on sponsorship. It's much more personal. And you'll see the evidence of that next week. So I'll be honest, I'm going to invite another child into my family. How about you? If you're feeling called to be chosen today... Right after the gathering, I want you to go into the atrium to line up to take the most epic picture of your life. If you have kids, pick them up first. Make your way to the photo booth. They need to be a part of this. We've set up the photo booths in the atrium where you can take your photo. You can sign up with a volunteer. All the sign-up is digital. It's simple. Only takes a few minutes to be complete, and you're, you're out of there. All you have to do is visit a volunteer with an iPad in the far wall is if you're going to pay for a credit card, that's going to go really quick. If you want to pay by check and have direct deposit, uh, withdrawal, then it's closer to the stairs. That's going to take a little bit longer. So it's up to you. But tonight, this is what's going to happen. It's crazy. Chris and I are going to fly out on Thursday. So my wife actually calculated. I think we actually spend more time flying than we actually do on the ground. But on Thursday... We're going to host a party in this town. And the kids are going to come to the room and they're going to see the pictures of you people from Seoul. And they're going to be able to choose to step into a relationship with one of you. Then next Sunday, are you tracking with me? During the gathering, because we'll be back. So next Sunday, during the gathering, right here, You'll get a picture of your newly sponsored child holding your picture along with the letter explaining why they chose you. How awesome is that?
So just think, it's going to be a reveal party. We're going to have pink balloons and, and blue balloons. Jordan, you get the interns. They can blow up balloons, right? It's going to be a reveal party. That's what it's going to be. I don't know. Maybe we'll have crackers popping off. I don't know. But we'll do a reveal party. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? That's what you're going to be thinking. That God is adding to your family. So I said this is the first in Canada. They just did it in the States. Watch this video. In the heart of downtown Chicago, hundreds gathered who wanted to sponsor a child through World Vision. But unlike so many sponsorship events before, this one was a bit unexpected. Instead of having people choose a kid from a set of photos, like sponsorship's been done for decades, we did something that we've never done before. Now, the choice is theirs. The choice to take hold of their future, to pursue their God-given gifts, to become change makers in their communities, and even the choice to step into a life-changing relationship with you. So if you wanna be chosen today, I encourage you to meet us in the lobby. You can actually sign up on your cell if you want at worldvision.ca. All you gotta do is hit the slash and then put chosen at soul or you can do it here. This has turned my heart inside out. And uh, this week we're gonna go through the most epic party. You can follow me, I'll be social media every step of the way. So we actually leave, I think, at 3 o'clock today. I do have a number in my head. I asked Chris what his number was in terms of sponsorship. I'm not going to share it with you. I leave it with you. Why don't you stand with me, please? Gracious God, all around us, people are suffering. And when I turn away from my own problems, I feel sorrow for the problems of others. And through the news, the media, my conversations, I'm daily confronted with the pain and suffering of so many innocent people in my own life, but also in the world. And suffering seems to eagerly eat at the edges of life until people are worn down with with sadness and despair, and it's reflective of the culture we live in here in the West. 
And even though I don't understand the reasons for suffering, God, I believe that you are a God of love. I believe that you are a God of compassion. And I pray that you will be with all those here today that are in pain. Those here today who suffer silently, alone, who feel abandoned, who feel left aside on the road. And I pray right now for uh, those here to wrap your arms of grace around them until the, they know that they are safely held in your embrace. But I also pray that you will fill our hearts with the same compassion that you have for us. And that you would give us eyes to see how we can lovingly be a part of the healing of others in our world. And so, God, I ask this for the sake of your great name. Amen. Here's my challenge to the younger people. If you have a part-time job, you can afford to sponsor a kid. Just saying. You're a single adult. You have a job. You can afford to sponsor a kid. Maybe even two. Families. You can afford to sponsor a kid. Maybe three. You don't know my situation. I know that we have plenty. And it means sacrifice. I'm not asking you to be generous. I'm asking you to be sacrificial. And I'm just shooting straight. I'm excited. I'm excited for what we can do. I'm excited about this twist with World Vision. And I would have never brought them in here because if I didn't believe in what they do. And I'm excited about our congregation because I know we as a community we commit so that's my challenge to you that's my challenge to you for the amount that it is for some of you it's a brunch on Sunday is the cost for others it just means giving up a few vente lattes which are getting extraordinary expensive anyway are they not and stop ingesting the Tim Hortons chemicals that's another thing that you can you know take out of your system amen brother amen in ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. Here it is, soul sanctuary. May God use your situation to direct you. May God use your situation to inspect you. May God use your situation to correct you. May God use your situation to protect you. May he use your situation to perfect you. Be blessed now and listen oh so carefully. Go and live the church and we'll see you at our reveal party next week.